Welcome back, everyone, to the second episode of the University of Utah COVID Sports Report. Last week, we set the baseline for the issues that lie ahead for the athletic department, and one of the glaring issues is the fact that the football program has been given the opportunity to play this fall when no other program has been granted that same privilege. Throughout this second episode, we will unpack this issue and highlight the troubles that this may create, as well as hear from some of the athletes and members of programs that will not be participating this fall. To get this episode started, Leif Tuline sat down with Porter Larson, a producer for ESPN 700, to get his insight on these circumstances. Joining us now is Porter Larson, executive producer of The Drive with Spence Checkets and host of You pregame show on ESPN 700. Thank you for hopping on. How are you doing? Doing well, Leif. Thanks. Thanks, man. Of course. Um, so let's just get right to it. And obviously a difficult time for everyone. How did the University of Utah's athletic department determine football should be played as opposed to not playing the other fall sports? Well, it came at a, at a Pac-12 level, obviously, not, not the University of Utah. That, that decision was uh, decided with chancellors and, and presidents at the, the institution level. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of simple answers and there's a lot of complicated ones. Uh, you can point to, towards money, honestly, as one of the big ones, because when it comes to playing sports during a pandemic, probably the most difficult and the toughest one to make happen would be football. So you look at that and you think, well, the other sports should be fine doing things, right? Whether it's skiing or, or stuff like that, you can distance and, and do this stuff during a virus. Football, you can't do that. So you, you have to look at, at the money involved in Pac-12 football and in Power 5 football and understand that it keeps those departments afloat. Without football, Utah skiing and, and, and Utah golf and, and, and lacrosse aren't things. They don't have money to operate. So uh, Utah football is, is in a position where with the Pac-12, uh, yeah, they need the, the revenue, right? But they also need to keep their athletic department afloat. So without a college football season, without a college basketball season, the two real revenue sharing sports, uh, you, you put your institutions in a really tough position trying to keep everything going. So they're just focusing on the ones that they can make money on and, and, and try and stay alive in 2020. And then from there, you just have to figure out what, what works best. Yeah, for sure. So obviously money was important in football happening, but what was the rationale behind not allowing other fall sports to play and to supplement football playing, um, when, when, especially when football received the go from the Pac-12 at long last? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I, I, don't, I don't know why certain sports aren't still playing. Um, it, it's interesting because there is ways, and, and I think that you'll see as time goes on, I think it, it was just more pressing uh, for football to get kicked off because there's so much pressure, whether it's political or, or from the public, or as we mentioned, uh, monetary pressure, uh, they had to, they had to get going. And, and I think you'll start to see the, the conference come out with other plans. You see that uh, basketball will now tip off in, in November and, and we're going to get some, some better plans coming along now that they figured out football. I just think that was the first on the docket. And, you know, a lot of people probably have issue with that. A lot of people who, play other sports but at the end of the day they're still going to get their scholarships they're still going to you know have all of these have all of their amenities uh but the reality is that 70 percent of the uh, of the utah athletic department is furloughed right now mm -hmm. so they don't have much of an operating staff so 
I don't know if I really have a, a re legitimate reason for why other sports aren't playing because I, I don't know that there is. I really just do think that it, it, they had to get football up and running before anything else because if they didn't, they faced economic ramifications that would have affected all the sports. Yeah, so just touching on that uh, for the other athletes, have you heard anything from a non-football or basketball athlete and, and any resentment for, for them not being able to play even though they've put in the same work to play their sports? That's a good question. I, I've spoken with a few, and the ones that I've talked to have been, have been understanding. Um, we've had similar conversations to the one we're having now that, you know, they, they understand what's going on. They understand we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and to be honest, their their questions were more not why are we not playing. It was more like, how are they doing football? You know, <laughs> there's there's eleven guys, twenty two guys on the field every every play, spitting and sweating and right right in each other's faces. So why are they playing football? And that's that's the question that I get more than more than why are we not playing? Mm -hmm. And it's a fair question, Lee. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I guess uh, touching on that as well is. Um, how are the football team and, and some of the other teams practicing that, that aren't necessarily playing, but they're still training? How, how are their practices and trainings different due to COVID-19? Well, um, you start with the, the testing, and, and we'll stay Pac-12-centric. Um, as of, I believe, October 1st, Quidel, which is, is a corporation out in San Diego, uh, got these Sophia testing machines to every university in the Pac-12. So these athletes are getting tested daily. And what that allows them to do is, is there's no delays. There's no shutdowns. There's no, you know, like what we saw with Florida and, and Alabama this weekend, right? Um, they're able to track and, and, and find where there's a case. It's not going to stop people from getting the virus. Kids here and there are still going to get it but you're able to find it immediately. And then it's not, it's not able to spread around your program. What we're seeing in, in Florida, who played in front of 60,000 fans on Saturday, <laughs> they have 20, 25 cases and are now shutting down their football program. So I, I think that the Pac-12 did a really good job of, you know, putting things in place before they allowed teams to practice. Stanford, as you know, had their first practice on campus yesterday. Utah's been doing it since June. So it's, it's really going to be interesting to see these teams come into, to, into the Pac-12 season with, with different, different levels of, of rust and, and whatnot. Uh, but the way they've been practicing uh, up until this point and up until they had those testing was you have small groups, four or five guys who come in at, at different hours, staggered, staggered times during the year. Uh, they're all masked up. They're all, you know, taking the proper precautions. And, and with Utah football, they had very, very minimal infections during the, the whole offseason from, from June up until now. Uh, I think it's, it's single digits or very, very, very close to single digits as far as total cases. And, and they haven't had one kind of spreading event. They've, ne they've never had to shut anything down. They've, they've really been able to kind of stay ahead of the game. And I think that the testing that, that the Pac-12 introduced with Quidel only furthers that cause. And, and it, it helps them do things that, as we see the SEC, other conferences, they're not testing daily. They have it every here, here and there. And, and you, you run into problems with that. I think the Pac-12, although they're going to be late to the party, they're going to be better prepared and, and more well-suited to finish the party, if that makes sense. 
Of course, yeah. Um, seeing Florida and Alabama having to shut down their programs, especially uh, rich tradition football programs, uh, is, is pretty devastating for their income, and I'm happy what the Pac-12 did. But speaking of that, how does the U of U and all the, uh, all the Pac-12, if you know, plan to reincorporate the rest of their sports outside of football and basketball? Um, and, and how will the NCAA treat eligibility for the athletes impacted? So the NCAA has already come out with a waiver, a blanket waiver. All these students are going to get basically a free year, which is awesome. It's the right thing to do. I mean, you don't know, even if this football season does get going, you don't know that it's going to finish. These guys may get three or four games or seven, hopefully, if you're in the Pac-12. So the NCAA has come out with a blanket waiver. All athletes will, will be able to, to use this year and burn it, and, and they'll be able to return. And that's huge for, for a lot of athletes. Um, so the, the eligibility thing, that's the right thing to do. Uh, when it comes to reincorporating and starting sports back up, uh, it's going to be a case-by-case -case basis. And the Pac-12 has stated, um, you know, I guess they haven't stated, but they've made it clear what their intentions are. They're getting the revenue sports up and running, and then they're worrying about everything else. Football's kicking off on November 7th, basketball on November 25th. And as of right now, Everything else is at January 1st is when they can reconvene stuff. And, and, and they're hoping that they can also use football and basketball as kind of a litmus to see how they're going to be able to use these, you know, use these testing systems and, and these procedures to get the other sports off the ground and running uh, at a time where they're probably going to be shorthanded staff-wise. Um, and and it, it'll be interesting. But I think that you know, reincorporating the other sports is going to start on January 1st as of right now. Uh, if there's any developments in between here and there, then they, they have the, the freedom to, to move up those dates. Um, but yeah, I think they're really going to use football and basketball and, and watch how they're able to kind of keep the, keep the virus in control, watch how they're able to, to utilize the testing and whatnot. And, and after that, then they'll start to, to try and reincorporate the other sports case by case. Oh, awesome. Thank you for your insight. A big thanks to Porter Larson for offering his time and expertise about these changing issues and circumstances. To help us unpack this even further, we are now going to Chloe Sexton, who has sat down with a member of the soccer team, as well as a member of the cheer squad, and her story will be sure to fill in some of those blanks. All right. Good evening, and welcome back to Premier College Performance Group in the West, your University of Utah Ute Spirit Team. everyone, my name is Chloe Sexton and I am with U of U COVID Sports Report. What you just heard was the intro to the Spirit team about to perform at a University of Utah football game. We are all well aware that COVID has majorly impacted sports and University of Utah football fans were ecstatic when Pac-12 announced that they would resume their conference games. However, this left a lot of people wondering what that meant for other University of Utah sports. That is why I wanted to talk to two Utah athletes that have not only lost their seasons, but are unsure when things will ever resume for their teams again. 
you'll be hearing from spirit team member Allie Bolkholder. This is her third year on the dance team and she currently is one of the choreographers. The dance team doesn't just have a season per se, they actually perform at University of Utah sporting events all year round. You'll also be hearing from Lulu Borges. She's from the University of Utah's women's soccer team and is a third year member. Fall is typically the season that women's soccer would be playing, but there have been no games due to COVID. I first asked Ali regarding the dance team, what was your initial reaction when the Pac-12 announced that they would resume football games and do you know if you'll be able to dance at these games? Yeah, I think at first I was like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Like, I can't wait, whatever. And then pretty soon after this like petition came out that someone on UCLA started that was like, we want to dance at football games and no one had told us anything. So we were like, oh, like, are we not dancing at football games? So uh, at first, I think we all kind of thought like, yeah, there's a chance now that there's football. But then that was shot down pretty quick. So now we're not dancing as of now, but things change every single day, I swear. I then wanted to ask Lulu a question that was a little more tailored to the women's soccer team. So I asked Lulu, what was your initial reaction when the Pac-12 announced that they would resume football games? And have you heard anything regarding women's soccer possibly resuming for the fall? Okay, so kind of just like how I feel about them playing and not us right now kind of a thing. Okay, I've been asked this one actually quite a bit, and it's a little bit of like a tricky answer because <clears throat> like I understand that they're the sport that brings in money and, you know, of course, but you kind of can't help but feel like it's a little unfair Yeah. because um, I feel not like I'm being punished, but kind of like, I don't know the right word for it. But you kind of feel like you're being thrown to the side a little because I'm a girl that chose to kick a ball instead of a guy that chose yes. to throw a ball. Like Totally. So you kind of feel like you're just kind of getting tossed aside a little bit. So it's hard because I do understand the, the logic behind it of, you know, it takes a lot to test people and it takes a lot to um, get, like, pay for the kits and all the time and everything that goes into it. And, of course, they're going to bring in the money that does that. But also we're not even getting to play contact yet. Like we're still contactless practices. So we're working just as hard as them doing all these things. But no games. They get the reward. They yeah. get the reward of it. So it's a little frustrating. I'm not going to lie. No, I don't blame you. That is frustrating. After talking to both girls, it was clear that they were frustrated given the current situation. And I wanted to know a little bit more about whether they've been training during COVID. And Lulu did reveal to me that they are still training like they would with their regular season. So she said it's three to four days a week, 20 to 30 hours a week. It's all contactless, but they're still training with no end result, which is the game. And Ali actually shared with me that they haven't been training during COVID because their season relies on sports games. And Allie said she hasn't met any of her new teammates that made the team during their virtual tryouts back in May, and they haven't had a team practice. So I wanted to ask them a final question, which said, 
What do you think would be the best way for your team to resume their season while also being cautious with COVID or do you think that's even possible? Um, I definitely think that it's possible for our team to resume like practice and performances, especially when there's sports that are outside. I think it's a little bit more tricky when you're getting into like basketball season where everything's inside, but I still do think it would be possible. Um, I think we would just need to make sure that everyone is symptom free. We like check temperatures each morning and we like spread out as much as we can, wear our masks, or even like if we're dancing and it's too hard to wear masks, just as long as we're spread out, I feel like it'll be okay. Like I go to Orange Theory every day and we take our temperature, wear our mask into like the door. And then as soon as we're working out, we take them off and it seems to work pretty well. Um, so I think that, and then if we were to perform at games, just like we're on a football field, there's quite a bit out there. So yeah. I think it'd be fine if we just like spread out and like, I think everyone's willing to wear masks and like take the steps necessary to be able to perform in whatever capacity we can. So I think honestly, we just need to be like given the opportunity to do so and like, yeah. we're all willing to do whatever they tell us to. Yeah, completely. Now you're going to hear Lulu speak on the question. I totally think it's possible because one of the frustrating things is that everyone's playing with us right now. Like high school's playing, little kids are playing, professionals are playing, everyone but us is playing. And I understand there's the whole liability aspect of it and you want to stay safe. But like if we're out there every day training, I hope that we'll eventually get rewarded for it. Um, I do think it's possible with the testing and if you have a team that's like dedicated you know to following certain guidelines like we have guidelines that we follow that's like um we prefer you don't travel out of state unless it's for like weddings or funerals or something like that you know that way it limits just limits the chances yeah exactly so i think it's totally possible i think you just have to have a team that's willing to cooperate and sacrifice some other parts of their life for it yeah. do you yeah. think it would be this fall or do you think they could delay it till next spring or um, so we pretty much felt that we're not playing this fall for sure like that was canceled forever ago so it was kind of like a surprise when everyone was asking me oh football's playing and you're like <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, um, so for sure not this fall and they're really looking forward to a spring they're making a schedule right now so we're hoping that we oh, can that's get cool. that's good yeah yeah we're hoping that we can get all the games in all the goods all all that stuff so yeah no details have been figured out yet, but. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you. I wanted to thank both girls for taking the time to come on and share their feelings with us. We're so excited that the U is going to have a football season again. However, we can't help but feel sad for other teams that aren't receiving this luxury. I wanted to take the time and turn this question that I asked the girls over to my fellow groupmates. So here we have Scott, Leaf, and Zoe. I want to ask them what they would think the, would be the best way for other teams to resume their seasons while still maintaining all of the necessary COVID precautions. Leif, you want to go ahead? Uh, sure. So I guess the best way is, is you follow the same precautions that they've been doing in training and then play only conference schedules. So the Pac-12 actually has a technology called Quidel that, uh, that allows same day results. And so I think if there's enough um, technology available for all teams to, to uh, use it, 
and have the results in the same day so they know that their opponents and themselves are all healthy. You can go ahead and, and play games and have practices as scheduled uh, as if it were typical. And then when there are uh, positive tests, the quarantines must happen and they have to have backup plans. Um, I, think, I think we know that there's not a lot of, uh, not all conferences have this luxury and the Pac-12 is lucky because of um, that technology being from California and the West Coast. Um, but if there's enough of that technology, I think there's the best way for the Pac-12 to advance is to allow more and more sports teams to play um, under the same precautions as football and basketball have received. Yeah, I think you also have to look at roster sizes, right? Um, football is going ahead with their schedule and they have at least 60 kids on their team. Um, and then you look at a, at a program like women's soccer, they probably have about 20. Um, so I think it will be a little easier for other sports to to kind of have that tight-knit um, community in which they're in this together. They know if one person gets it, they can ruin it for the rest of the team. Um, so, but also at the same point in time, this isn't professional sports. We can't set up bubbles for these players to be completely immune for, from catching the virus. They have to go about their daily lives like everyone else does. So, um, so yeah, I think the technology that we've touched on is, is really beneficial, um, for, for the, for the university of Utah, but also at the same time, it's, it's up to the athletes to make sure that they're keeping themselves as safe as they possibly can, um, to make, to make it a success. Yeah, completely. Sort of going off of that, um, I really like uh, in our previous interview that, or my interview with Casey Overfield, how she mentioned that with football, um, some of them have, some of the teams have been training just the offense together um, or the defense together and then um, reconvening, but just for training to like sort of uh, mitigate the amount of positive cases that could happen. I think that could work really well in their favor as long as they have time to sort of regroup. Um, but I think in general, that seems to be a strategy that I think is really interesting. Uh, I'll just pitch this to Scott and Lee if you guys. Um, so based on my interview, or excuse me, based on Chloe's interview, what I heard from her, um, I was kind of wondering what you guys think about women's sports and how much attention they get in the mainstream media and which do you think get the most attention and why do you think this is? Because I know um, soccer players, women's soccer players are really disappointed not being able to play in the same way. And I was just wondering, like, what do you think it gains the most traction? Does it, is it gendered? Like, what do you guys think? I think in terms of the University of Utah, I think their gymnastics team usually has the best success. Um, they are usually in the top 10 nationally. Um, they had a really great season last, last season and it was unfortunately cut short. Um, but also going off that point, so did the University of Utah volleyball team. They played really, really well last year and got knocked out in the um, regional semifinal, I believe, the furthest the team had ever gone. So um, when you look at Utah women's athletics as a whole, um, I'm not sure. I think those two sports probably stand out the most um, as building the most traction towards the national spotlight in sports media. But at the same time, all of the sports are successful. There's a bunch of women on the ski team that have won national championships. Um, and that sport doesn't get any sort of um, real spotlight. Um, so 
So I think you can take that a lot of different ways, but I think volleyball and, and gymnastics in the terms of the university are, are definitely their, their top two producers. For sure. Uh, as Scott said, the volleyball team had a great season and the, the Red Rocks, the gymnastics team, are always nationally ranked and actually had their best season since 1995 in terms of win percentage this past season. Uh, the basketball, the women's basketball team, uh, the last two years has outperformed the men's basketball team um, and have, have been in and out of the top 25. Um, so I don't think it's a, a lack of lack of good results that result in less media attention. I just think there's less money in some of the sports and less coverage by Pac-12 Network, ESPN, and, and so many sites that would, would potentially cover football or, or men's basketball because of their larger revenues and not necessarily from the Pac-12 or University of Utah, um, just from a larger scheme. Yeah, kind of going off of that, I know you addressed it to Scott and Leaf, um, but after talking to Lulu, while it doesn't seem like it's necessarily like a University of Utah issue. It's more of a uh, bigger issue that goes on in sports all over. I mean, we see the WNBA never gets the coverage that the NBA gets. And I think that's just women's sports in general. Hopefully something like that um, can eventually change. But Lulu even said in her interview, she goes, it's unfortunate because I'm a girl that chose to kick a ball and that I'm not a boy who chose to throw a ball. So I think it's it's a lot bigger than just a University of Utah issue. And of course, there's, there's a draw to men's sports, specifically football and basketball. And hopefully that changes, but yeah. To just kind of build off that point a little bit, I do completely agree with you. I think there's a huge drop off in terms of, of um, viewership and, and um, financial availability in women's sports compared to men's. I don't think that's right at all. Um, I think personally that if, if there was an easy fix to the situation, I think a, a lot of people would be all for it. But just at this point in time, it's, it's really hard to justify. Um, if you say you, you take that argument to LeBron James, who has made a million, like millions upon millions of dollars, in the NBA, um, and but he also brings in so much more money for that organization than than I think any probably any professional women's athletic team in general just by that just by being that one person. So I think I think there's athletes that garner that stigma in the women's side of sports. Venus and Serena Williams in tennis. Um, some of the U.S. national soccer players are really starting to to turn the page on 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 demanding equality and pay um and i think it's definitely a, a case that needs to be to be continued to be talked about and it's a problem that exists and, and i think there's a solution out there but um but yeah it's just it's just one of those things right now that unfortunately we see that throughout the rest of our society it's not just in sports yeah um i didn't include this in my interview but when I was talking to Lulu, she did say that there are two teams at the University of Utah that have a rapid testing system, and it's football and men's basketball. So I think those are the top two teams that the U receives like financial um, appreciation for, and of course they have the most exposure, the most recognition. So 
um, there definitely are things that could be changed in the future. Um, just the difference of being a man versus a woman nowadays. What makes football like so attractive to a majority of fans? Like I, I got the sort of financial side of it from what I listened to, but like what the underlying cause of that, all that financial support is kind of like where I think you, uh, Leaf and Scott could jump in and kind of share that like, why do you think it's so successful? Like, why do you think football is such a mainstream successful sport in America? Well, I think it starts with tradition. I think it's one of the older, older sports and, and it's traditionally just been popular because it's always been broadcasted. And whether that has to do with money or, or uh, exposure to certain teams or anything, regardless, tradition plays its part. Like when, when people think even in high school, what's the most popular sport? Like wh where do, wh what, who goes to what games? It, and it's going to be football. Everyone goes to the football games. Um, and I think it's because it's, it involves a lot of people. One, it's not horribly difficult to understand. Two, and three, I think the tradition that, and like the stigma that it has of being a tough, like all oh, the best athletes play football, the toughest and strongest play football. I think that stigma carries over and it makes it attractive for fans to watch because it's, if it's the toughest people playing uh, and the most athletic people playing, it's therefore the best sport. And whether that's true or not, uh, it, it carries over for a, a lot of Americans and the tradition, especially in the South of, of football being prime amongst their, their ideals, um, it, it carries over all across America for collegiate sports. Yeah, and I think to build off of what we've just talked about, it's 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 American. There's no other there's no other country that plays football the way that the way that the United States plays plays football. So um, I think that in a, in a, in of amongst itself, other than like baseball, which they say nothing's more American than baseball and apple pie, but like baseball is played all over the world. The majority of of talent in the American of young talent in the baseball today is is from outside of the United States but if you look at if you look at just strictly football it's it's just this pageantry driven sport that you have bands playing you have cheerleaders on the sidelines you have fans in the stands um, it's a team game but at the same time each person has an individual assignment to to take care of and if they don't take care of it then then the play is not successful or they sc get scored on. So it's just, um, it's an ultimate grudge match. And I think, I think just the, the pageantry is really exemplified in collegiate football. Um, I think you have the students there supporting their university. Um, you have the season ticket holders who have the alumni who have gone to, gone to the university and are just in love with the school in general. Um, I think that translates more so towards just college sports in general but um but I think that for me is why there's just so many people that are just just brave about football in general it's just it's it's an American sport and everyone like we've said everyone can kind of get behind it um but at the same time it's it's just moving a ball up and down the field it's it's quite simple so um so yeah there's also a culture about it and I, I thought of a good way to put it is there's a culture around football. There's, there's the tailgate culture, which involves even more people who don't even care for the game. And it's, and it helps, especially in college football, you get more and more people involved and then there's more and more revenue involved. So it's a, it's a win-win. And then 
lastly, if you're playing if you're playing football, you think, oh, you think Sunday NFL football. Like in my head, I equate football to Saturday and Sunday. Saturday for college and Sunday for NFL. No other sport has that. Oh wow, it's it's Saturday. I'm gonna go watch college football all day. Um, I think football, as Scott put it, it's, it's American and there's tradition around it that makes it that makes it more popular than other sports to watch. Not because of the game itself, just because of the culture and and decoration around it. Yeah, and as someone who knows absolutely nothing about sports, I can easily follow what's going on with football. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to understand, um, and it's entertaining. There is that whole football atmosphere of when you're at a football game, there's nothing like it. Everyone is so riled up. Everyone's screaming, and you've got, um, like, cheerleaders. You're watching the game. It's exciting and it's entertaining. And I think that's why it arguably is one of the biggest sports in our, I would say, honestly, the biggest sport um, in our country. Yeah, one thing that I think is um, interesting about, um, I think it was Scott that mentioned earlier, like about um, sort of how other sports, like they're everywhere in the world and, and how football is kind of uniquely, the way we play it is uniquely American. Um, I was reading an article like about the South Korean bat flipping trend. And I think that's really interesting because I mean, it's, it is a different take because like we don't really consider that like it's a little more taboo here than it would be in South Korea, but it's just interesting because they have their own take on it, but it's essentially still the same sport. It's baseball. and. I think, yeah, based on the fact that like people in Europe, you know, call f soccer is football and it's just like a completely different thing here. So I think, um, and just building off of what you guys have said so far, but um, yeah, I, it's great to hear answers to my questions. Cause you know, this is coming from a lay person who, who again, just like Chloe doesn't know everything there is to know. So yeah, I appreciate you guys kind of coming in with the, some good answers to some of our questions. Of course, for sure, no problem. So I think, um, unless you guys have anything else to add, I think this would be a kind of a good time to wrap things up. Um, and what what do we have to look forward to next episode? Oh boy, um, I think we're gonna delve a little bit deeper into the financials aspects of the athletics department here um, at the university and then and then we have another episode um, based around based around the fans' perspective and what they can expect moving forward and and the withdrawals that they are probably going through, like like we all are. So, um, not sure which one is going to be the next one as of right now, but but yeah, that's what's on the docket for for our next two episodes. Perfect. Um. Well, um, stay tuned with us guys for next week's episode and we shall talk, get a little deeper into sort of um, the social financial aspect of things. And then Leif will kind of cap things off with a little bit of um, diving into the minds of the fans. So stay tuned. Sounds good. See ya.